Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. passage this morning begins in verse 21, uh, but we will uh, go ahead and back up to verse 15 uh, to get a little context before we continue on with our passage this morning. So if you would follow along with me, Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 15. Look carefully then. How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Well, we've said it many times, but it bears repeating that in the first half of Ephesians, Paul describes the wealth that we have in Christ, the riches of the gospel. 
And in the second half of Ephesians, Paul tells us how we ought to walk in light of the wealth that we have have in Christ. In this letter, he demonstrates the connection between the practical details of life and the riches of the gospel of Jesus. So in our text this morning, we're going to consider how these riches of the gospel affect our relationships. In Christ, we're adopted as God's children, Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 5. But how does the fact that we're adopted as God's children affect the way that we treat our own children? Later in chapter 1, Paul tells us that in the resurrection, God used his great power to raise Jesus from the dead and exalt him to the highest place of authority. But how does that affect our view of human authorities that God has placed in our lives? In chapter 2, we saw that Christ tears down walls of division so that everyone who trusts in Christ, male, female, slave, free, we are all equal in Christ. But how does equality in Christ relate to the different roles and responsibilities that we have in our relationships? In chapter 3, we saw that our lives are arenas for God to show off his glory to the forces in the heavenly places. So how does God show off his glory in our homes, in our workplaces? In Christ, we've been given the fullness of God and the person of the Holy Spirit if we've trusted in Jesus. We have access to limitless power and incomprehensible love. So what do our relationships look like when we're filled with the Spirit and when we are demonstrating the love of Christ that we have been shown? We want to consider all of these ideas, how the gospel shapes our relationships. And taking this whole passage into account, I believe there's one central message that applies to all of these relationships. Every individual role, every relationship we're in, the one central message is this, look to Christ. Look to Christ. We're going to see in every relationship, in every role that each one of us fill, we find joy in these relationships, find hope as we look to Christ. Because problems come in our relationships when we look to anyone else. If we're looking to ourself, can be a problem because we may be tempted to just seek our own interests. Or we may be tempted to look to another person, our spouse or our child or our parent or boss or employee, and base how we treat them on how worthy we perceive them to be. But everything about how we relate to other people changes when we take our eyes off of ourselves, off of other people, and we look to Christ. So our passage this morning, uh, which again uh, officially begins in verse 21, um, it's a continuation of the section that started back in 15 that we just read. Paul's talking about walking in wisdom, and part of that wisdom is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit results, as we saw last week, in singing and thanksgiving. And then one other thing, and uh, if you would look with me at verse 21 as we see this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21 is like a heading over a section that 
begins here and then goes all the way to verse 9 of chapter 6. And it's a section that is all about submission. And it, in this, there's three relationships that Paul has in view, as we saw. And they, all three of these relationships involve submission. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and then slaves and masters. But the first thing that we need to see here in verse 21 is that everyone submits. Everyone submits. There's two aspects to this submission in verse 21. First, everyone submits to everyone. In the body of Christ, as those who have been brought into the fold, when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, we will put others' interests above our own. So yes, as we just read, and as we'll look at in detail, wives are to submit to their own husbands, but husbands are to put their wives' interests above their own. Yes, children are to obey their parents, but parents are to put their children's interests above their own. Slaves are to obey their masters, but masters are also to put their slaves' interests above their own. And we'll talk more about what that looks like, obviously, in our, our culture later. But the point is, in Christ, in the body of Christ, everyone submits to everyone, submitting to one another, Paul says in verse 21. And second, and most importantly, everyone submits to Christ in the body of Christ. As Christ followers, every aspect of leading and following that exists in our relationships is under the authority of our master, Jesus. We submit to one another because we are all submitted to our Lord Jesus, who leads us by putting our interests above his own. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he had dinner with his disciples, and he shocked them when he took off his dinner jacket and put on a towel. He started washing their feet. Listen to John 13, verses 12 to 14. When he had washed their feet and then put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So as we consider the following verses, look to Christ. Look to Christ out of reverence for our teacher and Lord who washed his disciples' feet Let's follow his example in our relationships and wash one another's feet. So first, let's look at the relationship between wives and husbands. Paul begins by giving instructions to wives. So let's look at verse 22. <coughs> Excuse me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So unfortunately, this verse has often been misunderstood and misused. So before we talk about what this verse does mean, we really need to talk about what this verse does not mean. First, this does not mean that all women are supposed to submit to all men. This verse does not teach that. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that idea. Paul says in this verse, wives submit to your own husbands. This is a specific instruction for a specific relationship, and as we'll see, for a specific purpose. Second, this verse does not mean that a wife is less than her husband. 
The Bible clearly teaches that men and women are equal. As humans, we're created in the image of God. Men and women both are equally image bearers with dignity and value. And if we're in Christ, there is neither male nor female, but Christ is all. We are equal as humans, and we are equal in Christ. So if men and women are equal, why should a wife submit to her husband? I mean, isn't submission inequality? No. And if you don't believe me, just look at the example of God himself, specifically the example of God the Son. The Son is fully God, and the Father is fully God. Yet for all of eternity, God the Son has submitted perfectly to God the Father. The Son submits to the Father as unequal to the Father. His submission in no way detracts from his glory and value and worth as divine. So just as the Son submits to the Father as an equal to the Father, a wife submits to her husband as her husband's equal, not as his subordinate. Third, this verse is not a reason to remain in a dangerous situation. If your husband is a threat to you or your children, do not keep yourself in that situation. Get out and get safe. And know that we have a church family right here who is ready to provide you with anything you need at any time, the drop of a hat. The Bible's instruction here in this verse should never, ever, ever be used to justify physical harm, and it should never be used to enable physical harm. So this verse has been misunderstood and misused, but let's not throw it out just because of that. There's no reason to lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired this verse, inspired this instruction, and he meant it to point us to Jesus. So let's consider now what submission is. First and foremost, submission in this passage is submission to Christ. Submission to your husband as a wife is submission to Christ. Notice in this verse that a wife is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord, Paul says. Or as verse 21 would tell us, a wife is to submit to her husband out of reverence for Christ. So wives, find your joy in submitting to Jesus. Find your joy in submitting to your perfect leader because, let's face it, your husband will never be a perfect leader. If you search for joy in him, you'll never find it. But if you delight to follow Jesus, you'll find joy in submitting even to the imperfect leader that God has placed in your life, your husband. Second, submission to your husband is a picture of the church's submission to Christ. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The relationship between a husband and wife is meant to be an imitation of the relationship between Christ and the church. 
In that relationship, Christ is the head, the church is the body. Christ leads and the church follows in everything. And likewise, God has designed marriage with the husband as the head of the wife. So consider a couple of aspects of what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. Uh, The head is the decision maker. Uh, The way that Kathy Keller, uh, you may have uh, read something by her husband, who's Tim Keller. Um, Kathy Keller puts it uh, this way. In marriage, the husband and wife both equally get a vote. But in the case of a tie, the husband casts a tie-breaking vote. Now, that doesn't mean that the husband always gets his way. Uh, The husband may and often should use his tie-breaking vote to favor the interests of his wife. But the point is that God holds the husband responsible for the final decision. So to submit as a wife is to defer to your husband's responsibility and support his final decision as if it were your own. The head is also the initiator. Uh, So for example, a husband is to take initiative in providing for his wife. And that doesn't mean that a wife shouldn't work, uh, but it means that the husband is to lead out in making sure that this happens. Husband is another example to take initiative in managing finances. But that doesn't mean that if a husband can't do math that he should be the one with the checkbook. It means that the husband is to take a lead in that and recognizing uh, perhaps his wife's gifting and his lack of gifting, uh, that may in that situation look like the wife balancing the checkbook. But the point is the husband is the one who is to lead in making sure that examples. There's just a couple of examples. But submitting to your husband as a leader will involve an leaving space for him to lead sometimes. And that requires patience. It involves encouraging him when he does step up and lead, which at times requires great generosity. It involves following him where he does lead, which at times requires great humility. So, wives, when it comes to submission, my main encouragement to you is this. Look to Christ. Look to to Christ. As the perfect example of one who submits as an equal and look to Christ as your ultimate head and find your joy in following Christ and submitting yourself to him. So next Paul turns his attention to husbands. Paul's central command to wives was to submit to their husbands. Paul's central command to husbands in verse 25 is this. Let's see. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, Paul's central command to us is to love our wives. First, we are to love our wives by giving ourselves. Christ gave himself to us as a sacrifice. Did you notice back in verse 23 when we were looking at Paul's instruction to wives that he said Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. It's vital that we recognize that Christ became the head after he became the savior. He was exalted after he was crucified. In the kingdom of God, the pathway to Christ-like leadership is always Christ-like servanthood. As the Valley of Vision says, to bear the cross 
is to wear the crown. Notice what Paul says uh, the purpose was for Christ sacrificing his life for his bride in verses 26 and verses 27. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ gave himself for us to make us acceptable to him. And how did he do it? By the washing of water with the word, by cleansing us with the gospel. Jesus made us acceptable to himself through the gospel, through the good news that even though we are sinners, Jesus gives us righteousness through faith. He gives us forgiveness through his sacrifice. He gives us life through his resurrection. So don't miss this. Jesus accepts us not by demanding something from us. He accepts us because of what he has given to us. And husbands, we are to love our wives in the same way. Just as Jesus loved us through the gospel, we are to love our wives through the gospel. We should not demand that our wives submit, demand that our wives change, demand that our wives meet our needs, demand that our wives be something that they're not. Instead of demanding something from them, according to the word of God, we are to love our wives by giving ourselves to them. We're to love our wives by giving ourselves. And second, we are to love our wives as ourselves. Paul says in verses 28 and 29, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Think of what we do to care for ourselves. Think of the great lengths that we go to for our own self-preservation. Think of how much energy we put into protecting our own comfort. Think of how much time we spend working on things that bring us joy and us satisfaction. The level of effort that we put into ourselves is the same level of effort we ought to be putting into loving our wives. And you know how we know how to love ourselves? How, how do we know how to love ourselves? Well, we, we've spent a lot of time getting to know ourselves, learning ourselves. We know what we like. We know how we're wired. We know what makes us feel heard. We know how we process information. And if we are going to love our wives like we love ourselves, we need to invest time and energy in getting to know our wives as much and as well as we know ourselves. Um, an example of this that's always stuck in my head uh, was a man who told me about how he and his wife um, were getting ready to purchase a house, and they had, had it narrowed down to two options. There was one house that he favored and one house that his wife favored. And so, as we mentioned a moment ago, he, he was given the responsibility then of making the tie-breaking vote. But before he made this decision, he, he spent a significant amount of time 
listening to his wife's perspective, not just to hear her case for the other house, but to adopt her desires as his own, to adopt her rationale as his own, to adopt her feelings as his own. And he told me that he knew he was ready to make the final decision when he didn't just understand what his wife was feeling, but when the thought of picking, uh, or the thought of not picking the house that she wanted actually made him feel the same emotional pain of disappointment that she was feeling. If we're going to love our wives like we love ourselves, we must invest time and energy in knowing our wives and truly experiencing oneness of mind, body, and soul. And th- this is how Christ loves us. Look at what he says, starting at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know, God didn't establish the relationship between Christ and the church and think, you know what, that kind of looks like a marriage. You know, you should think of it like that. (laughs) No. When God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden, he had the relationship between Christ and the church in mind. That relationship, the relationship between Christ and the church, came first. And marriage has always been a picture that was to point us to the true marriage between Christ and the church. So husbands, if we are to love our wives like Christ loves us, we must look to Christ. Look to the cross and see the ultimate demonstration of love. The model that we are to follow as husbands. And look to Christ as the Lord who is your head. As your wife seeks to submit to your headship, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who is your head. The more that you submit to Jesus, the easier it is for your wife to submit to your leadership. So husbands, look to Christ. So that's how a focus on Christ affects the relationship between wives and husbands. And Next, in a, in a shorter section, Paul takes up the relationship between children and parents. So first, Paul gives instructions to children. So if you're a child uh, and you're still living at home with, we're all children, but uh, if you're still living at home with mom and dad, I want you to pay really close attention to what Paul writes here in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. Look with me in your Bibles here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. And all the parents in the room said, amen. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, do what your parents tell you to do. Do it the first time they ask. And don't ask about my record of how how well I did that when I was a kid. Do it without asking questions. Do it even when you don't understand why you have to do it. Do it without complaining. And do it as soon as they ask. 
when Paul, when Paul wrote this, as we see here, he, he wasn't inventing a new idea. Did you notice that he, there's some quotation marks here in the text? This was something that God told Israel back in the Ten Commandments, that we were to honor our father and mother. He made a promise when he gave that command to honor father and mother. He promised that life would go better for you if you would obey your parents. Life would go better for you if you obey your parents. Because whether you believe it or not, your parents want what's best for you. And sometimes it's hard to believe, but really, your parents want what is best for you. They want you to live a good life. They want you to be safe. And that's why they tell you to do the things that they tell you to do. You're in the process of becoming an adult. Your parents are already adults. They live in the real world. They know what you need to know. They know who you need to be. And their job is to prepare you to be a full-grown adult in the real world. So what Paul is telling you here is that your best life now and your best life in the future is coming from obeying your parents, listening to what they say. They really do love you. They really do know what's best for you. And Paul tells you to listen to them, to obey them. So if you're going to do that, you're going to need to look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ because he is the best example of a child who obeyed. In Luke 2.51, Luke tells us that Jesus was submissive to his parents. So if you want to know what it looks like to obey, just look to Christ. He's the perfect example of obedience. But also look to Christ because he's the one that you're supposed to obey most of all. Paul says that you are to obey your parents in the Lord. That means that the reason you should obey your parents is because, of, because you love Jesus. Your parents are not perfect. Mind blown, right? <laughs> your parents are not perfect. They make mistakes. And so because of that, sometimes it can be hard to obey your parents. But the one who is perfect is your Lord Jesus, who tells you to obey your parents. Jesus deserves your obedience every time. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Look to Christ. So next up, parents. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul specifically addresses fathers here uh, because given the fact that what we saw earlier, the husband is the head of a wife, so the father bears ultimate responsibility and accountability for leading in child rearing. But make no mistake, these are instructions for all parents, fathers and mothers. So Paul offers two instructions, one of what not to do and one of what to do. First, he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Andrew Lincoln offers some helpful examples of what it looks like to provoke your children to anger. Excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, being arbitrary in your instructions or arbitrary in your decisions, being unfair 
in your judgment showing partiality, constant nagging or condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. All of these things provoke anger in your child. That's what not to do, but what parents are to do instead is bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Uh, These terms include both correction and formation. Correction, meaning punishing wrongdoing and talking about the motives of the heart, why sin is wrong, And we often think of disciplining in terms of correction. Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And that's an important part. That's a biblical teaching to correct children. But it's only one part of raising children. It's only one part of discipline, really. The idea Paul is getting at here includes not only corrective discipline, but it also includes formation. Formation, meaning the habits instructions, rules, practices that develop a child into who they ought to be. One of the most formative ways that parents shape their children is by the habits that they form as a family. But this can also be easily overlooked. Our children are formed more by habits and routines and actions than they are by verbal instructions. For example, You can tell your kids that they ought to serve other people all you want, but far more formative in leading your family in that is to take a meal to someone in need. The habit, the action, forms the child's values more than just speaking words of values and not having actions to back it up. You can tell your kids that Jesus is important, but if in practice the habits you form are treating church as optional, your kids will be far more formed by that than by your words. So parents, look to Christ. Look to Christ. The perfect example of one who corrects in love and who leads by example. Look to Christ as the one to whom you are ultimately accountable. You aren't just parenting so your kids will take care of you when you're old. You're parenting to honor Jesus. He is the one to look to. So we've looked at wives and husbands, children and parents, and at the end of this passage, Paul turns his attention to one last relationship, that of slaves and masters. So in this context, though though slavery in the first century Greco-Roman world was quite different than slavery, say, in our country in the last uh, two or three hundred years. It was still wrong. Slavery is wrong. And so it's important that we understand that just because Paul is addressing slaves and masters, Paul is not in any way endorsing slavery. Instead, the burden on Paul's heart is to give instructions to Christian slaves and Christian masters on how they are to honor God and their roles in society. <coughs> so think of how radical the gospel that Paul preaches would have been to this context of slaves and masters in Paul's day. Yes, 
in society and in your economic relationship, you're a slave and a master. But if you're in Christ, you're brothers. You are 100% equal in the Lord. So now, even though this specific relationship of slaves and masters doesn't apply to us in our culture, at least hopefully no one in this room, um, Paul's instructions to slaves are still just as relevant to anyone who is an employee or a follower of any kind. And his instructions to masters are relevant to managers, bosses, leaders of any kind. So don't check out just because you're not a slave and you don't own any slaves. No, lean in because we're going to hear some very important things for followers and for leaders. So listen again through that lens to what Paul said in verses 5 through 8. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So in your work, whatever your occupation, look to Christ. Whether we're working mainly outside or indoors, whether we're working mainly with our hands or with our heads, ultimately, whatever we're doing, work is a matter of the heart before God. And we are to work with a heart that genuinely wants to honor God in everything we do. So be a good follower. Work for your boss as if you are working for Christ, because you are. Do what your boss expects of you. Don't complain about him or her behind their back. Go the extra mile in your work, not as a suck-up, but from a heart that knows your true Lord is Jesus, and he is worthy of your best work. We shouldn't do our work just for show. We shouldn't do our work just because people can see us. Um, if you know my office, I shouldn't do my work just when the blinds are open. I should also do my best work when the blinds are closed. We do our work for the eyes of Christ. We do good work because, as the text says, we're slaves of Christ or servants of Christ. And our desire ought to be to do good work for his glory, not just for the sake of our career or for the praise of man, but because our reward is not ultimately a paycheck or a promotion or a nest egg or a professional legacy. We work to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So look to Christ as the perfect example of a servant and look to him because he is ultimately who you are working for. So then finally, leaders. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Leaders, look to Christ. Just as we are to follow our own leaders as if we were following Christ, so we ought to be Christ-like in the way that we treat those who follow us, or who work for us. If you're a Christian in a position of authority, you are in a position to model the perfect 
and admirable leadership of Jesus. Jesus is a courageous and honorable, decisive, visionary leader, and he is also humble and generous and kind and an empowering leader. So follow his perfect example. And remember that whatever human authority you might have, you are ultimately under the authority of Jesus. So don't abuse your authority. Don't lord your authority over people, leveraging your power to coerce them into doing what you want them to do. Instead, leverage your power to serve those who work for you. Leverage your power to serve and empower those who follow you. Don't abuse the privileges that come with authority. Steward them in order to honor Christ and to serve those who work for you. Look to Christ because however much or however little human accountability you have, ultimately we are accountable to him. And he will not be impressed by your title or how many people were under your authority or what your profit margin was. But rather, did you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Did you love those who worked for you as yourself? Did you love your customers as yourself? Look to Christ, the perfect example of a great leader and the one to whom we are ultimately accountable. So in all of our relationships, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace, may we look to Jesus as our example and as our Lord. And as we inevitably fail in our pursuit of Christ-likeness, may we also look to Christ for grace and forgiveness. Even as we seek to follow his example of love, may we be empowered by his love as we experience his love toward us through the cross. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give grace to look to Jesus, that our eyes would be fixed on him, that in him we would find rest and acceptance, and love, and power, and we would find an example to follow, a Lord to obey, and the true bridegroom. Lord, I ask that marriages in this room would be healed, that they would thrive, as a result of looking to Jesus. Lord, I ask that the relationship between children and parents in this room would be stronger as parents and children look to Jesus. Lord, I ask that in our jobs, as we go in tomorrow morning, Lord, that we would do work for your glory, that we would lead for your glory. You have given us the perfect example of love in Christ. And you have given us perfect love in Christ. And so, Lord, may we know that we don't work for love. We work from love. 
as we seek to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and as we seek to love our neighbor as ourself, I ask that you would point our eyes to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.